you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family... Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ Bucky here with you. Buck, what's going on, man? Nah, not too much, man. Just another another great day. Another great day to talk about ball. That's all. Yeah, we got uh, a fun show today. We had a conversation with Pete Carroll. Obviously, everybody knows him. Head coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Won a national championship at USC. Multiple national championships at USC. And then uh, Super Bowl winner there with the Seattle Seahawks. He's going to join the show along with Michael Gervais, someone you've known for a long time, uh, who's one of the you know high-performance psychologists, one of the premier high-performance psychologist in the country who deals with a lot of the top sports teams has done a lot of work with Pete and the Seahawks over the years and somewhere that, that you have a relationship back uh, going to the Elite 11 right Buck? Yeah he's a great guy man he's great when it comes to like uh, helping guys kind of find a way to perform at their best um, and a lot of it is just about mindfulness and, and doing those things and so he's been a pleasure to be around I've learned a lot from him and I'm excited about our conversation. Yeah, so we're going to give you a little snippet of that conversation during today's podcast. Uh, more than likely going to give you the full-length uh, interview on on the next podcast that's coming out. So we'll give you a little taste of that today. Also, some topics we want to touch on. It was, I thought it was pretty interesting when we uh, see what's going on in the world with the COVID-19. And now we're starting to see 
uh, it kind of really connect with football as we're getting closer to the season with the report that came out about the Cowboys and Texans, several players testing positive, including Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, I'll talk about that for a minute, as well as a big new extension there for Kyle Shanahan, uh, which is going to lead us into uh, what you've been working on, Bucky, and kind of the proliferation of this Shanahan scheme uh, across the league, which is going to be a, a, a conversation I'm really looking forward to. And then I'll mention some guys that I've been studying, some of these college guys with my first look series on NFL.com, uh, getting a look at some of these top prospects for next year. Um, what do you say, Buck? Let's just start off with the interview here. Let's give everybody a little taste of, uh, of Pete Carroll and, Mike, and Dr. Michael Gervais. Uh, here's a, a conversation about development as well as um, a little nugget here on Russell Wilson. So I hope you enjoy this little snippet. You know, Coach, the, the common denominator that I hear you talk about consistently is competition. But the one thing that I've always admired about your teams, going back to SC and Seattle, has been the development of players, guys who may have been unheralded, but somehow you guys get them in the program and they begin to play at a higher level. How does, how does that happen? Where does the developmental process happen for your guys? Well, it's, it's, it is a really big deal to our staff. Um, you know, we're a developmental staff, and what that means to us that we're going to go with the guy as far as we can possibly take him with the highest of expectations that we can establish for that individual until he's not there any longer. And then we just go to the next guy that shows up, you know, and the, the coaches are going to try to make everything they can of this opportunity with the kid they got. That's kind of what drives us as, as individual coaches and as a staff. And in that, you're always looking towards the, the positive. You're always looking towards the future of what somebody could become. And with that thought, you know, we, we just will not back off. And so, uh, you know, our guys, we use really good uh, language and terminology and self-talk about our guys. We, you know, we really want to constantly build them to what they could become as long as they're with us. And we're dedicated to that. We kind of join each year and, and, and revisit that oath. And, and uh, you know, that's, we're a developmental staff for those purposes. Mike, I, I want to ask you about Russell Wilson. You, you've had a chance to be around him. Obviously, Pete knows him extremely well. But the, the two things that stand out to me about Russ, going all the way from when he was coming out of Wisconsin to what he's become there, it seems like he's been able to kind of balance having that discipline routine that he goes through, but also having a growth mindset of trying to find new ways to do things better. How, how, how is that balance, that de- delicate balance of, of those two things? There's, as humans, there's only three things that we can train. We can train our craft, our body, and our mind. And what you see in Russ is what the tip of the arrow performers tend to reflect is that they're not leaving one of those three up to chance. So training and conditioning in a relentless way to become your very best does require a deep investment in training craft, body, and mind. And, you know, we used to think long ago that training the mind were weak. That's changing. It's changing right underneath of us right now because it is something, the science of sports psychology is saying, hey, listen, We have studied the extraordinaries. This is how they organize their inner life, and these are the mental skills they build. Confidence is a skill. Being calm is a skill. Having deep focus is a trainable skill. You can do sets and reps with all of them, and the best of the best, they are not leaving one of those up to chance. Well, Bucky, that was just a a part there, just a little taste of that conversation uh, with two incredibly smart guys that uh, really have developed quite a cool friendship. Yeah, really, really cool. And I think the part that I took from uh, Dr. Gervais talking about Russell Wilson kind of dovetails into the development thing. He talked about how you have to train the three aspects, mind, body and craft and how Russell Wilson really devotes himself to really training those aspects. And so mind being able to stay engaged, stay focused on the process, being able to kind of take 
um, the game as it comes. His body, obviously, we know what Russell Wilson does in terms of just kind of working on his body, making sure that he's in great shape. But then the craft, really being detailed about how he goes about mastering playing the quarterback position. And when you see those things kind of work in unison, you see how he's able to play at an extraordinary level. And he's been able to play at that extraordinary level with and without playmakers around him. And I think that really speaks to him. And I think it speaks to the culture that they've established in Seattle. Yeah, I, I just I, I get fascinated by the the balance between the discipline routine that you see so many of these players, you know, look at look at a great shooter, right? If they go to the free throw line, it's the same routine every single time. And routine brings uh, discipline, which brings confidence, all, all those things. You get it all kind of into one big stew there. But then you, you constantly have advancements, not only in training, but also in schematics and footwork and different things like that. So I think Russell Wilson, maybe more so than any athlete I can think of, I guess maybe Tom Brady would be another one who has just has a reputation for his his rugged discipline but also is open to learning new things and trying to get better and find new ways to do things that's tough to do man yeah it's really tough to do and i think um the things that we've seen like the successful quarterback head coach combinations they're kind of extensions of the culture or they played a large part in establishing the culture. So we can talk about what Tom Brady was able to do with Bill Belichick in New England for two decades. Uh, the relationship that we've seen between Sean Payton and Drew Brees and how that extension of culture is carried out by number nine. And then in Seattle, um, Pete had started to establish the culture before Russell got there, but I think Russell certainly has taken it to another level. Uh, you talk about his ability to take the discipline and routine, but constantly adapt and change and refine his game. Well, Pete always talks about kind of being the best version of yourself, whatever that looks like, and then developing those guys to be the best versions of themselves. And so when you have the quarterback, and we've talked about how the quarterback is the most important position because he is really the CEO of the franchise. If the head coach is number one, he is 1B in terms of carrying out the mission and the message. Russell Wilson does that as well as anybody that we've seen in the last 20 years. And think about when you have that continuity, I was thinking about this because you have success. Success often means that your assistant coaches are leaving and some of the players around you are leaving, right? But the constants are the head coach and the quarterback. You almost, and this is an oversimplification, but in some ways the head coach can coach the coaches and the quarterback can coach the team. Uh, you know, in terms of the messaging, like the, the head coach is constantly drilling that messaging into the assistants, which a staff might be evolving and changing as you've had success and they, they go get head coaching jobs and coordinator positions elsewhere. Uh, just as a quarterback who is on, in lockstep with your head coach, when the supporting cast is changing, he can instill those values into that group. Man, that's a powerful combination when you get it. It is a very, very powerful combination. And I think going all the way back to watching Russell, not only at NC State, but at Wisconsin, he had a maturity that ex extended beyond his years. The way that he stepped into the Seattle Seahawks starting lineup and the way that he was automatically always on brand, no matter what, how he always ended every interview go Hawks and how yep. he always had the ability to say the right thing at the right time when it came to pressers. And even though he was muted a little bit by the big voices in the Seattle Seahawks team room, because you had Richard Sherman and Michael Bennett and Cam Chancellor and some of those guys and the team was a very defensive oriented team with Marshawn Lynch kind of being the bell cow of the offense. 
he kind of found a way to find his voice as a leader. And as they've entrusted that team to him, man, you talk about two guys walking in lockstep. Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson are attached at the hip and their ability to kind of be on the same page at all times has really enabled the Seattle Seahawks to consistently be in the playoff hunt and one of those teams that is always a dark horse contender, no matter who they have on their team. Where do you like them in this division, by the way? I know we're real early, and obviously we saw with the injury to Brandon Brooks the other day for the Philadelphia Eagles that, I mean, gosh, who knows? Predicting things in the NFL this year is going to be darn near impossible. But how do you like the Seahawks in the NFC West this year? I mean, they're an inch away from winning the division last year. Like the fact mm-hmm. that – Literally. Uh, I mean, literally. Fred Warner made a terrific play at the goal line. He and D. Greenlaw to, to get that. I, I think they're going to be right there. I think whenever you have Russell Wilson, that gives you a chance. Their defense – wasn't great last year, but I expect them to be better with all the young guys they have playing. I think it comes down to a very competitive division. Maybe it could be the best division in football outside of maybe the NFC South when we look at how it plays out. But each of these teams in the NFC West are talented. They should be very competitive. But I think the 49ers and the Seahawks still kind of reign supreme. I expect it to still kind of come down to the way that those two guys, those two teams play against one another to determine who is going to be the division winner. I think this could be a year in that division where 10 and 6 could win the division. And and I mean that as a compliment to just how deep and talented the group is. I think the Arizona Cardinals, we've talked about Kyler Murray, what we expect from him. If we legitimately believe he could be in the MVP conversation, they can't win four or five games. I mean, they're going to have to be a you know 500 or better football team. They've got to be much better than that if he's going to win the MVP. But he's you know to have a big year. I think they're going to be you know, a very good chance they're over 500. I think the Rams... Um, I know they've had to swap out some some pieces and they've lost some veteran players, but that's a team not that far removed from the Super Bowl. Um, and obviously the 49ers are you know as good as it gets roster-wise in the National Football League. So I, I think it's going to be a very competitive division. I, I would say this. I think Jadevian Clowney could be the difference in whether or not the Seahawks are, are there at the end. If they don't have Clowney on this roster, as I look at it right now, Bucky, I just don't know if they have enough juice off the edge uh, that they're going to be able to, to knock off the 49ers. I just I think he's a key player for them. Yeah, that's the area where they're lacking. Like, they don't have a premier pass rusher. They don't have a disruptive force off the edge. And I wouldn't call Jadavian Clowney a premier pass rusher. I would call him uh, maybe a pre- premier edge defender in terms of his ability to create disruption. He's a disruptor. Yeah, yeah particularly against the run. Uh, bringing Bruce Ir- Irvin back is, you know, you're hoping it for lightning in the bottle as he's ages out. Maybe he can give you 10 sacks. Um, LJ Collier has to play better than he played his rookie season. Um, you know, like they, they're a team that when you look at them on paper – they're missing something up front. They're missing that dominant player that is a game changer. And so because of that, I think you have to give the nod to the 49ers. But because the Seattle Seahawks have always been on the doorstep, it's hard to dismiss their chances of, their chances of not knocking the door down because they, they're always there. Yep, they're always, again, always compete, right? That's his, his mantra, and that's what they do. They're always right there, a very competitive team. Um, all right, Buck, the, uh, the news we saw come out this week was, was interesting, to say the least, uh, about the Cowboys and the Texans having several players test positive for COVID-19. Um, none of the players believed to have been in their facilities, so that's a good thing. And teams just continue to follow proper health protocols. Um, Ezekiel Elliott, one of those guys that, that tested positive, obviously he was not happy that got out, uh, rightfully so. He was, he was upset about that. But um, 
when we look at this, to me, I, I think this is kind of the new reality that we're heading towards. It looks like there's going to be, from what I saw, they're going to be tested three times a week when the players come in. Um, but it, I was talking to a, a decision maker with a team the other day, and even though the uh, practice squad has expanded, he was making the case that, man, maybe just a one-time thing this year that we have uh, you know, put 20 guys on, on a practice squad because he brought up a great point. We're going to have these guys testing positive. They're going to have to miss a couple weeks. Well, in in the past, what do we do with your with the team? You bring in guys, you work them out, and then you put them out there. And he's saying now, now it becomes dicey with bringing in new people and all that kind of stuff. What if we kind of had, to lack of a better word, those people in a bubble and they were already kind of ready to go? So you're not having to bring these guys in, fly these guys in, and all that. It was an interesting point. Now, it is an interesting point. I, I do believe the way people use the practice squad this year will be different than we've seen in any other year. Uh, before, we talked about the practice squad being a way to have a redshirt year, uh, to stash guys away for the following season and to be able to do it. Uh, I want to say a week ago, we talked about the third quarterback being a player, coach or whatever, because they've lifted some restrictions on veterans being on the practice squad. I think this year, more than other years, your practice squad guys have to be guys that can legitimately play and contribute. And you're just kind of keeping them in the waiting room because of, yeah, yeah, because of these issues and COVID and those things, those guys are going to have to be beyond long-term developmental players. They're going to have to be guys that are right on the cusp or worthy of being able to play that you somehow sneak onto the practice uh, squad to practice roster. And so you may not be able to expose those guys in preseason games, which is crazy to think we may have fewer preseason games, but you're going to have to identify some veterans, some two or three year veterans that you're like, look, you're good enough to make the team, but we're not going to put you in team. We can put you on the practice squad and you're not going to play a lot in the preseason because we don't want to expose you. You know, Um, it's going to be one of those, it's going to be a weird thing, but the, the teams that are on it, and innovative and creative, they will find a way to use the practice squad to their benefit. I want to get your thought on this as well, because you have no offseason, right? No no rookie minicamp, no OTAs. And I think one of the elements that people don't uh, factor in is that these rookies learn how to practice during the spring. You know, you, you get out there and you can tell experience from your experience, but can tell the stories of the difference between a college practice and an NFL practice. Yeah. I almost wonder at the beginning of training camp, if you're going to have the veterans kind of lay back and, and you can teach these guys how to properly practice because they don't know. No, they, they don't know. I mean, DJ, what do we hear? Stay up, stay yeah. up, because you have to learn how to practice and not fall on the ground. When you fall on the ground, that's what guys get hurt. So it's being able to play at a frenetic pace, but under control. That's what pros are able to do. And so you're right about, man, we got to teach the young guys how to practice at a pro tempo while still having the control to not get guys injured, to take care of one another, because you're going to have a lot of anxious and ambitious young players that are trying to earn their spot. And they feel like in this abbreviated training camp, I got to make something happen today. I got to make it happen, but they can't make it happen at the expense of someone that we're counting on. A lot of things that are working, a lot of things that have to kind of uh, be worked out, talked about and discussed in team meetings and on the practice field. Yeah, I mean, again, there's just so many different elements and layers to this thing. I'm hopeful that we don't have a situation like the MLB, um, but I, I do anticipate, Bucky, there's going to be some discussions about um, 
processes going forward. You know, I know they've they've tried to present some ideas already. I'm just telling you, man, I, I have my fingers and toes crossed that once we get to the point where it's real, where players are going to start coming back in, um, that we have management and the Players Association, we that we get these guys on the same page, that everybody's comfortable with the plan moving forward. And then not to mention the, uh, you know, the loss of revenue with no fans potentially, um, trying to navigate those waters uh, as it pertains to the salary cap going forward. I'm just saying, I got I got a little bit of chills when I saw MLB come out and, and basically threaten and say, hey, maybe no season. And we're in a much better shape with our uh, collective bargaining agreement uh, agreed to going forward for the next decade. I think it's 11 years, right? We have 11 years of yeah, how, how smart? 11 years of labor piece. But can we be smart enough that you took the words right out of my mouth? Can we be smart enough to come together and put this plan in place so that you know we don't end up in a similar position? Yeah, I think a lot of people have vested interest in making sure that the season goes on and it goes on in the right way. Now, I don't know if that means a reduction of preseason games. I don't know how that goes about it, but I do believe that they're going to try and figure out a way to make this work. And I know we've seen some tentative dates where rookies may report maybe July 23rd, veterans may come to 28th. I think with the rookies report to 23rd to 28th, I think that is where you're beginning to talk about the practice tempo and some of those things. I also think when the veterans join, I think the smart teams are not going to try and do too much too soon. I think you'll see those early practices um, kind of remind me. I don't know if you remember this, but the Oakland Raiders on the Tom Cable, they got a lot of flack. The first three days of minicamp, they did what were called walkthrough practices. So they would I don't even know if he used the ball. They would, yeah. they would snap, they would walk through their things, the play would get to a certain point, they would blow the whistle and come out. Because he talked about, I need to show these guys how to win, I need to show them how to practice first. I wonder how many teams are going to, hey, let's crawl before you walk, let's walk before you run, and then let's get to it. I think this may be the year where you really need to go slower to get to the end game instead of trying to put everything in and go really, really fast. Wow, that's really smart. Um it's just a different year and so you can't do things as they've always been done you got to be smart about everything um we did see some other news by the way kyle shanahan just got a new six-year contract uh replaces the three years he had remaining on his deal and uh and it keeps him with the 49ers going through 2025 now uh no argument at all about his offensive acumen um everybody knows the story with him and his father learned underneath mike shanahan uh won super bowls there with the denver broncos was a coordinator with the uh the 49ers and the Raiders and the head coach of the Redskins on and on his his resume is impeccable but I think Kyle's kind of taking this offense in an even a better direction than than where it was under Mike and Bucky this is a tree that's gotten pretty big I know you've done some homework on why you see more and more teams adopting this philosophy uh DJ it's it's remarkable and actually my intrigue and fascination with the system came from listening to you talk about your conversation with Sean McVay on an airplane I don't know if that was a combine or whatever yeah, we talked combine, about yeah. you talked about him and he was talking about the way that he wanted to expand the way that they were playing with the Rams and so I think about the immediate success that Sean McVay was able to have I think about how it took Cal Shanahan a little bit to get it going but once he got the quarterback uh how it really exploded and then I'm looking 
looking at the other teams around the league. I'm looking at Matt LaFleur having a 13-3 and season right away with the Green Bay Packers. I'm looking at Zach Taylor hoping to get the Cincinnati Bengals off the ground and up and running. I'm looking at the impact that Gary Kubiak had on Kevin Stefanski in the offense in Minnesota and the potential that Stefanski could have on the Cleveland Browns. And lo and behold, we're talking about a quarter of the league could be running some version of the Shanahan system. And so I had to ask around to see why is this so appealing? And the, the, the number one thing that I got back from people that played in it, people that defended it, it is a system where you can have average guys and win games. But if you have great guys, you're winning the championship. And they said the system not only elevates the running back and even the quarterback, but you can turn average offensive linemen into really good players because it's a system that isn't about moving people off the ball. It's about the chemistry and connectivity between the five guys up front. If they work in unison together, they seal up all the holes. And then if you have a running back that is disciplined enough to attack downhill, play with vision, he's going to get four yards of pop. And then when you add in the complimentary play action that looks exactly like the running game at the front part of it, it lures defenders to the line, creates these huge windows for quarterbacks. You now can take an average quarterback and make him look like an all-star. And I'm not calling these guys average, but let's just talk about Jared Goff and Kirk Cousins and how they looked immediately in those systems. Jared Goff went from looking like a bust to being a Super Bowl caliber player at the quarterback position. And then Kirk Cousins has been a dominant player when you've enabled him to play off play action. I think it's a huge benefit to being able to put these systems in place in a league where the talent is very even what is the advantage? I think people are finding a competitive advantage by using the Shanahan system. Yeah, and I think a big component of that is outside zone run game. And if you think about outside zone, that stretch game that they use, and they do it beautifully, I was thinking about it from this standpoint. Um, you make big guys run, right? You're making the guys in the line of scrimmage have to run, and you're making small guys tackle. Yes. So just think about that. Small guys are built to run. Big guys are built to tackle. You flip it when you run that much outside zone. You're forcing those big guys to have to run and chase all day long, and you can identify who you're going to leave unblocked, and you can identify, okay, this little corner right here, he's got to be the force player the way we're going to, we're going to, we're going to block this thing, and we're going to make him Waldo, um, as we always like to talk about. Where's Waldo? Yeah. Where do you attack? You can do that in the run game, not just the pass game. Yeah, it's that part of the run game. But here's also the subtle tactic. Um, and I can tell you the frustration that my teammates had in the mid-90s when we played against Mike Shanahan running this offense in Denver with Terrell Davis at running back. That outside zone that you talk about, they run two plays. They run inside zone, outside zone. Outside zone is the primary. But what they do on the front side, they're running and stretching, trying to reach block the guy that's in their area. On the back side, they're cutting anything moving. So what happens is they create seams in your defense and after a while because I talked to Mark Slareth about this he said early in the game I'm cutting hard and I'm cutting nasty and after about a quarter of getting your needs taken out he said guys don't run with the same vigor to the football (laughs) and he says what it does is you get guys on different levels you have seams and if your running back has the discipline and the vision he exploits it and we saw it in that NFC championship game when Mossert ran for 200-plus yards against the Packers, it is, man, it is a thing of beauty when it is going, and it is a very, very difficult thing to defend despite the simplicity of the blocking scheme. 
Yeah, and look, they've implemented rules to limit some of the cutting that you can do, but they're still it's effective. And then if you can't if you can't get to him to cut him, all you do is wash him. Just take him where he's going. Just wash him down the line, run him back, and cut off his backside. So it's it's. I mean, I, I don't know why every team in the league doesn't incorporate outside zone. If you're not doing it, it's, it's, I, I don't understand it. Because uh, because people don't have the patience to do it. And DJ, we know like the simple things. Uh, are tough to be disciplined to stay with it because we always want to do more. We always feel like, man, the more plays we have, the better we're going to be. Uh, what if what if someone stops this one play? But it's the reps. It's the thousand repetitions, ten thousand repetitions of doing the same thing so you can master it. And then it's about the camouflage. I think the beautiful thing and 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 hearing Gary Kubiak talk about it, hearing Kyle Shanahan talk about it, hey, it's same but different. Meaning, same play different ways to get to it last year the san francisco 49ers had pre-snap motions or shifts on 78 percent of their plays like so they run the same play but they throw you out of source because kyle shanahan is playing a shell game they're moving guys around they're diverting eyes i got to communicate on defense about the strength call then they snap the ball they're running the same play but i'm so caught up in all the other stuff that i lose my discipline the other thing that i found Jimmy Garoppolo threw off play action on 30% of his plays. He's one of only two quarterbacks to have over 30% of his dropbacks done off play action. So when we talk about Jimmy Garoppolo going next level, next level is cashing in on the layups that Kyle Shanahan is creating for him. The play action gets guys open. Now you just got to put the ball off the square and hit the layup. Jimmy Garoppolo just has to hit the layup. Yeah, I that's a great call. And also, going back to what you said before that, the simplicity, the doing a couple things really well and then dressing them up um, just, to, just to give an illusion that you're doing something different where it's all the same exact concept. I, I think back when I was in high school, not many people were, were throwing the ball a ton in high school at that time. I graduated in 1996. And our coach uh, had played under a guy named Bob Leahy who had trained up. I think he had been with the Buffalo Bills back in the day. But there was... Um, he had some West Coast elements. So literally, high school football team, we ran a, a basically shallow cross was our, our bread and butter. And you, you, all, you buck, all you got is you've got somebody on a shallow cross, you've got somebody on a choice route, you've got somebody on a clear route. That's basically the play. You can run it 900 different ways. Now, think as you know, as a high school coach, man, if you can master that simple concept and now we can just through motions and shift and who we have on the shallow, who we have with the clear, who we have on the choice – as a quarterback, it's all the same to me. I'm seeing the exact same read, the exact same thing. It's just we might have guys in different spots getting there. But, man, that's to make it easy on a high school kid, they're basically doing the same thing at the NFL level with their run game. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the same thing. It's the simplicity of it. And, um, you know, like we, we like to think that, that more is better. But really, um, I, I think I have a buddy who, who does it. Like you can go to Cheesecake Factory and get a million things off a big, vast menu. Or <laughs> that's Lombardi's. Go, that's Lombardi's yeah, deal, right? You know, or you can go to In-N-Out and get, hey, man, do I want a double-double with cheese? Like they deal with burgers and fries and shakes. Like that. that's, that's it. it. And so you become great at being able to do that. And I think with the Denver Broncos and in the past and, and Gary Kubiak and Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan, like they figured out very early, man, if we just do a couple of things and just master them and become great at them where we know exactly what you're going to do, because there's only so many different ways that you can defend this. So we're going to spend all of our time 
practicing against the looks that we'll see as opposed to the increase in the variables by doing more things. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I do want to get to, oh, by the way, I should remind everybody, you can you can find out more about this conversation. We're going to have it on the TV show Thursday, NFL Network, 6 Eastern. Uh, mentioned Terrell Davis. We're going to air a little clip we had with our conversation with him about the system and the, and how it works and how you can excel. So uh, the Shanahan tree is uh, is a very real thing, as Bucky did a great job of explaining. By the way, did you already write about this, Buck, or are you writing about this? I'm writing about it this weekend, so it should be done okay. by Thursday, and we'll have it up for the notebook this weekend. Okay, so be on the lookout for that, NFL.com slash Bucky Brooks. You can find the deep dive there. Um, I want to get to a couple of these college kids, Buck. I've been working on my uh, my first look series, going through some guys, and I want to start um, with the one I just finished, which is up on NFL.com, and that's Jamar Chase from LSU. Because I said it last year, you might have been in agreement, I can't remember, but that was the deepest group of wide receivers that I'd seen since I began scouting last year, what we had. There was a zillion starting caliber NFL wide receivers. But the best wide receiver in college football wasn't in the draft because it was Jamar Chase. And when I went back and watched every single target from this past year, um, I thought was, he's better than anybody in last year's draft, man, after I got done watching him. I don't know what your, your background is on him or how much you've seen of him, but uh, he's outstanding. He is outstanding, man. He is really kind of coming to his own. Uh, his combination of speed, quickness, his start-start ability to me is that. And I think he has a competitive edge that shows up in big games. Like, he he loves competition. He plays really well in big games. And as much as we both like uh, Justin Jefferson, like, there's a difference in the way that Jamar Chase gets down. He is a big-time playmaker. Uh, he can do it on the perimeter. And he is kind of what we call the epitome of a number one receiver because the number one receiver typically can play outside. He can win uh, without needing a lot of work or creativity from the play designer, and he can do that. And, you know, when you think about the long legacy of LSU receivers, uh, he's going to be one of the best that we've seen come out of there. Yeah, the guys at LSU tell me that he is faster than Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson ended up running, what, like 4-4-3? Yeah. Um, he's not the tallest guy in the world. He's listed at 6'1", 200. But – Buck, he, you know, we talk about comparisons, and, and sometimes that is who guys look like and how they run like. I, I did comparisons with kind of what's inside this guy, like how, he's, how he plays the game. When I'm talking about aggression, toughness, physicality, he never runs out of bounds. I, that, I, I know some people don't really care about that. When I see a wide receiver that's going to lower his shoulder to get an extra two to three yards in a college game, I just to me, there's a competitiveness there. Now, as you get longer in the tooth in the NFL, you'll be smart and you'll get out of balance and save your body. But I, I kind of like seeing those type of traits. So when I look for comparisons, the way this guy plays the temperament, I, I thought of Anquan Bolden, I thought of Steve Smith, and I thought of Juju Smith-Schuster. Just think about the toughness that those guys can work in the middle of the field. They refuse to go down, break tackles. Um, third down, red zone, they're going to just out-muscle guys, out-physical people. Um, that's the type of wide receiver this guy is. And I know that's 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 heady company. Yeah, it is heady company. But I'm going to go and I'm going to say, like, uh, from a competitive mindset, he reminds me a lot of an LSU alum, Jarvis Landry, in terms of, like, that feistiness. Not in mm -hmm. terms of his playing style, but um, there was an expectation, particularly when Jarvis was at LSU, that they played, like, running backs on the perimeter. Like, their, their toughness uh, stood out and it popped on tape. I think Jamar Chase has some of that. And I think some of the LSU – some of the other LSU receivers also exhibit that, but he is a terrific playmaker. And you're right. As much as we love last year's class of wide receivers, I mean, this year's class is every bit as talented uh, when it comes to the guys that are uh, potentially going to be in this 2021 class. 
We'll hit on a couple more guys. This one, I finished watching this uh, report. I believe it will be up Friday. But Travis Etienne from Clemson. Uh, when I watched him, gosh, I, I did him last year assuming he would come out and give him a big grade. But I wanted to watch him with fresh eyes, so I went back and watched some more. I watched FSU, South Carolina, Virginia. And I wrote down on my paper Alvin Kamara. Like They, they don't use him as much in the passing game yeah. as we saw with Kamara. But that type of – and I know I don't care about the 40 with Kamara. I think he ran the mid-4.5s, but just that suddenness. When this guy puts his foot in the ground, he goes, man. He, there is no no hesitation. He has got elite suddenness. And I was impressed with his balance. You know, sometimes you get some of those guys go back to like Steve Slayton, like fast, a little bit. He was a little bit undersized. This kid's bigger than that. Uh, but sometimes you sacrifice some of the balance and physicality with that speed. I actually came away thinking this kid runs really hard. Yeah, I was I was um, surprised by what I saw from him because it's different when you kind of do like that spot scouting where you kind of you're looking at other people, but you're not really studying him. So you see the flashes. But I was like, oh, man, maybe he's just more of a like a straight line runner because you hear about the speed and yeah. and those things. But then when you watch him catch the ball, he catches the ball very, very naturally. Yep. And they do a great job of kind of flipping out those swing screens, those moving screens where he kind of catches it going to the perimeter, but attacks yep. downhill. He has uh, some playmaking ability. I think the Alvin Kamara uh, comparison is one that is a good one because I don't know if everyone paid attention to Alvin Kamara and what he did in the passing game early at Tennessee, but I think Etienne is underutilized in the passing game at Clemson, and if he wants to take his game up a notch where he gets those accolades as a top-10 prospect, that would be the one area to to have more involvement in the passing game because he certainly has the skill set to be a guy that is heavily involved. He's one of the best draw runners that I've seen. Like just because the sea opens up and he takes the grass Bam! in a hurry. Yes. Yeah. He's yes. there and it's it jumps off the screen. Um, you mentioned the screen game uh, does a great job there. He needs a little bit of a runway just in terms of power, like short yardage. Sometimes you'll see him get smothered a little bit in some short yardage. He's got power, but he's got more power once you get to that second level. You know, So to me, he just needs a little bit of a runway in that regard. Uh, in pass protection, very aware, uh, very willing. A little bit a little bit spotty in terms of the effectiveness. There's some times where he, he lunges a little bit. He's got to work on that. But uh, overall, he's a, he's a talented player. In fact, I gave him a higher grade than I gave any back in last year's draft class. So that, that's... That's where I think about him, which is fascinating. Jamar Chase and Travis Etienne, I think, are better than any wide receiver running back in last year's draft. Man, that's unbelievable. It speaks to the talent that is available. It also speaks to the way that the game is moving. Like these explosive players um, that we're seeing year after year after year, um, it's going it's to create interesting conversations in uh, scouting rooms around the league in terms of like the skill level that we're seeing come into the league and how do we captivate that? How do we how do we maximize that while building our team is it better to take these guys early are there so many guys that are available in the second and third round that maybe you can skimp it a little bit uh fascinating conversation i think uh decision makers will have to kind of really weigh uh value and production and uh what could be when it comes to these playmakers yeah you mentioned value and production that gets me to the last guy i want to talk about today who i gave a higher grade than even i gave to the other two guys that's Greg Rousseau, uh, edge rusher from Miami. I mean, I know there's, I guess, you know, there's mock drafts out and all this stuff that have him already up there. I had, was not familiar with him. So when I watched him, I had, had no expectation what I'm going to see. He's listed at 6'7", 253. Um, so 
I, I went in and watched him. Buck, you are, you know, you mentioned this all the time. Production, production, production with pass rushers. This kid had 15 and a half sacks last year. I watched him against Virginia Tech, Florida State, and Duke. He was the best player on the field in all three games, and it was not even close. Uh, they, they couldn't block him. So he he looked to me like a polished Daniel Hunter. We did not see a, a polished Daniel Hunter at LSU. We saw no. him grow and develop into what he is now. This kid's this kid's on another level than that at, at, the, at this point in time in his career. And doing my homework on him, Buck, he didn't play he didn't play defensive end until he was a senior in high school. This kid was a receiver and a safety at that size. So I went back and watched his high school huddle as a junior. Oh yeah. You're really fascinated. Oh, he got oh, if, he, if he if he, he got made me. you if he made you look at the high school huddle, you're all in on oh, because I, I watched 15 <laughs> minutes of that thing. All in. He looked like Kevin Durant out there running down the field, like a gazelle just gliding down the field. I mean, it was it was incredible. And he's um, you know, he's got some polish. He's not just winning with just speed. He can do he can convert speed to power. He did that well in the Duke game. Got a little push-pull move. Um, he's got a nice little rip move. He's uh, he obviously can still win with with burst off the edge. Uh, they move him all around. They'll line him up in a zero. They'll line him up head up over the center in some of their sub stuff and just slant him and let him move around inside. He's outstanding working over a guard. They'll use him some as a three technique. Um, so he actually, I had tweeted out a video of him. And so he uh, he hit me on uh, on Twitter. So I took the opportunity to ask where his weight is. Because, you know, sometimes with these guys, you see what's listed and you kind of wonder where they are. Um, he said he told me he played at 248 last year. He said he's 262 right now. So if we assume six seven as scouts, we normally will knock that down an inch to assume he's probably six six. Uh, that's 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 pretty darn good size, man, for an edge rusher that has that type of athletic ability. Um, and then you 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 factor in the production on top of that. That's pretty insane. Yeah, it is insane. And it's funny when you're telling me about his high school background, it reminded me to our conversation with Matt Rule. You remember when Matt Rule came on and he talked about, hey, you got to think out of the box when it comes to positioning players, uh, take guys that were speed uh, merchants, guys that were wide receivers and DBs and make them linebacker or move them down a level. So to think about the athleticism that he had to be a wide receiver in high school, to then put him down and to train him as a defensive end. That movement, that one-on-one ability, the wiggle and all of that other stuff, it comes out. And the comparison to Daniel Hunter, because I love Daniel Hunter, like the guy that I see for the Minnesota Vikings, yeah. he has everything. Motor, explosiveness, athleticism, power, speed, he can do that. So to get a guy who has 15 and a half sacks, and think about this, the Miami Hurricanes weren't great last year. So he is not getting those 15 and a half when he is like, hey, playing downhill, they have the lead or whatever. So he is getting those in non-obvious passing situations. That is something that you have to pay attention to. Can you create it when everyone in the stadium doesn't know that it's a pass? That is something that really speaks volumes about his game. His arms look like they're 35 inches. I mean, he looks like he's got unbelievably long arms. So... Yeah, if you don't know who he is already, if you if you see a Miami game, you're going to want to pay attention to number 15, Greg Rousseau, because he's, you know, we're not supposed to say uh, for underclassmen how high they're supposed to go, but high, high, early, early, nice, nice and early. He he, he is a one suit guy. I can promise you. That. <laughs> 
doesn't need to bring it he up. He, he doesn't need to worry about day two. Absolutely no. not. He'll be good on day one. Uh, all right, Buck, is there anything else you want to add before we jump out of here? No, that was great, man. I love those first look series. Um, it kind of whets the whistle a little bit in terms of getting ready for the college season. And I know we've kind of been hamstrung because I know you're a big guy when it comes to the college football previews and, oh, and yeah, all I those things. Those like, yeah. I, yeah, I know it's been a little slow with the production, but it's getting there. It's going to happen. We're going to see it happen. No, I'm, I'm excited. I, I hope we uh, hope we have a safe uh, football season, both at the collegiate level and the NFL level, because, man, we need it. We uh, we miss sports and baseball. Let us down, man. They're letting us down, Buck. See, you were hoping that the, the Padres were going to kind of backdoor their way into the playoffs or whatever. season, baby. Nah, and the baseball people are like, nah, they're going to have to earn their way to the title. <laughs> they're not going to be able to sneak in and have a hot start. The only thing that the only thing that uh, comforts me is to know that we almost traded a bunch of prospects for Mookie Betts. It might not be a season, so I don't feel so bad about that anymore. And he's going to be a free agent. That is not. Yeah. That is not it's messed that is up. Not cool. Yeah, it's not messed good. up. All right, Nabil sending us a note here uh, about Miami losing games because he wasn't there to bring the swag. I don't know. Yeah, they already had the turnover chain and the chalice and. All those other things, Miami. Would the turnover chain fit over Nabil's hair? That's my question. I don't know. I don't know. Can no. you imagine Nabil with the turnover chain? That would be quite. I can. I can, actually. That would be quite the look. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, all right. Let's, uh, let's wrap it up here. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, remember the TV show, 6 Eastern Thursday. You can catch more of that conversation with Pete Carroll and Michael Gervais. I think you'll enjoy that. Uh, as well as a discussion on that Shanahan scheme and, and what's going on around the league. Uh, we'll have you covered there on the TV show. So I want to thank everybody for helping us here on the podcast. That starts with Mark Brady. It starts with Nabil um, doing a great job for us. So I want to give a shout-out to those guys for keeping us rolling here. Uh, that's it. We'll catch you next time right here on Move the Sticks. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. 
Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.